God seeks and saves and satisfies sinners like us, and then he changes us into witnesses for him. I'm going to be preaching on that at teen camp next week, but there are a few copies of that, and uh, it's, a, it's smaller, you know, less robust, but I hope would be a help to some of you. And then there are a bunch of copies of the Gospel Meditation Series. These are 31-day devotionals. Think daily bread, but a little bit, you know, on daily bread on steroids. And a uh, pastor friend and I write, and then we've had a number of people who have um, contributed articles over time. And the Lord's just allowed those to be a blessing to a lot of people, kind of an in-depth Bible study. We have them for women, for men, for moms, fathers, uh, for young adults, some that focus on missions, some that focus on suffering, if you're going through a difficult time. Uh, so those are available, and you can get those anytime before or after a service. I hope they'll be a help to you. Well, Psalm 19. Book of Psalms is, I think, underappreciated. Right in the middle of your Bible, we have an inspired hymnal. And we don't sing psalms anymore. People used to sing uh, out of the Psalter. You know, we're actually commanded in the New Testament to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So if we're not singing psalms in some way, at some time we're actually disobeying a direct command of Scripture. Uh, the psalms, though, are, are more than just songs or, you know, happy sayings. Sometimes, sometimes we um, kind of cherry-pick the happy psalms and, and we talk about how you know, God will bless us or the Lord watches and keeps, and, and they're all good. But, but there's a lot more to the Psalms than that. They're very doctrinal. Uh, they're very, very experiential. God is not just a shepherd. He's my shepherd. You know, God is not just a refuge. He's my refuge, my king, my fortress, my deliverer. They're very personal. Um, sometimes they're very gritty. Do you know how many of the 150 Psalms are, uh, are sad songs, what we call songs of lament. They're sorrowful or they're even full of complaints. Anybody have an, an idea, a guess, how many of the 150 psalms are sad? Right around, not quite 100, but that's not a bad guess, right around 60. 40% of the psalms are the psalmist saying, God, I keep asking for help and I feel like you don't hear me. We're going to talk about that actually tomorrow night about how to pray when you're hurting and Pray even when you're angry. Uh, Martin Luther, his favorite book of the Bible was the Psalms. Now, he would change the world by studying and preaching Romans and studying and preaching Galatians, but his first book was from the Psalms. His, his well-known hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, comes from Psalm 46. He said that the Psalms are like a miniature Bible. The entire Bible is kind of condensed in the Psalms, and we have... We have stories of creation and fall and redemption, and, and we have praise and we have sorrow and we have confession. The Psalms are just so rich, and we need to get back to reading the Psalms and singing the Psalms and kind of marinating our souls in the Psalms. Well, we're starting tonight with Psalm 19, familiar probably to most of you. It talks about the grandeur of God in creation, and then it talks about the power of the Scriptures. And uh, the theme for tonight is that God has spoken. God has spoken. Now, before we read it, I'm going to read the entire thing. I'll have you stand up and wake up again. Um, but before we do, I want you to consider a few things that I think might be a help to you. So before we read, notice the turn from natural revelation to special revelation. 
Those are theological terms. But natural revelation is God has spoken through creation. So we're going to read, the heavens declare the glory of God. Natural revelation tells us a lot about God. We find out in Psalm 19 and Romans 1. But then there's a transition halfway through. There's a hinge to special revelation or actually the scriptures where God has spoken with more clarity in the scriptures than he did in nature. So notice that when we read through. Notice how uh, David is going to turn from preaching to praying and confessing, especially uh, when he gets to the end. He's going to you know, offer like, God, I know I'm sinful compared to you and all your glory, and I need you to cleanse me and change me and help me. And then just enjoy the creativity of the psalm. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. Sometimes preachers take beautiful texts of Scripture, and as we analyze them, we take all of the mystery and beauty and fun out of them. Uh, Wadsworth said that we kill to dissect. You know, so you see a beautiful animal, and instead of just enjoying it, we kill it so we can, we can study it. I don't want to kill this. All right? This is just beautiful. And it doesn't actually need a ton of explanation. So just enjoy the creativity, the genius of the psalm as we read it together. It's so perfect to be reading when we're in such a beautiful setting. We're surrounded by the glory of God, the beauty of His creation day after day this week. So let's stand together and we're going to read Psalm 19. And the theme of the message is that God has spoken. From cover to cover, God is a communicating God. Uh, Francis Schaeffer said, He is there and He is not silent. You know, creation begins with God speaking. And God has spoken here, and He's going to speak for eternity to us. God has spoken. We learn about it from this inspired, uh, this inspired record in Psalm 19. To the choir master, song to be sung, it's a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit uh, to the end of them, there is nothing hidden from its heat. So he talks about God's creative power. The heavens are shouting how glorious, how powerful, how creative he is. And then we have a creative psalm that compares the sun to a strong man running a marathon. Ever since creation, it's been going from, from coast to coast, horizon to horizon, Everyone in the world can see it. It's a universal witness of God's power. Every language can understand it. The sun just keeps making its course, and all of that is supposed to cause us to give praise to God. Then we have the hinge. You say, man, this is, this is random. We just went from creation to talking about Scripture. No, God has spoken through creation, and now God has spoken through the Scriptures. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, 
even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I want to sing that. Do you guys know that? More to be desired are they than gold. Yeah, that was, that was just for free, and we won't keep singing. <laughs> then we come to this, verse 11. He starts talking about how it changes us, how it, how it helps us. Moreover, by them, it's not just that they're sweet, but moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a beautiful psalm and so full of instruction. Life-changing if we'll hear it. Lord, use your word to instruct us tonight. Help me to communicate it with clarity and accuracy. But Lord, you do what I can't do. You apply it to hearts. There's people here who arrive with hidden sorrows, hurts, burdens, griefs, uh, hidden sin habits. And, and like David, they're frustrated and they need deliverance. They need forgiveness, but, but they also need to be delivered from the power of sin. Uh, there are people that come in and maybe they're with family at a, at a family event, but Lord, they come and they might be on the outside looking in because they're not yet Christians. They're not born again. They're still lost in sin. They're still doubting. Uh, they're still kind of rationalizing how uh, this can't be true. But Lord, I pray in your mercy, you would open their eyes, soften their hearts, draw them to salvation. I pray that any non-Christian will come to faith in Christ, and I pray that all who are Christians will come to greater Christ-likeness. Uh, you are awesome. We sang about it tonight. Just how great is your name. We praise you. Now, Lord, as we consider the psalm, use it uh, for your glory and our good. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 19, God has spoken. Now, I'm going to use several different words. You know, it's true that God has communicated in general, but I think we have kind of a, a progress in Psalm 19. And so I put the first point this way, God has whispered through creation. All right, I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God. So, so we learn about God from God. There's kind of an echo. God spoke, let there be, there was, and the heavens continue to echo that causing us to glorify God. So we look at the heavens, maybe like, like David says in Psalm 8, another creation psalm. David, you can picture David lying in a pasture, looking at the sky, and he says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Then he says, when I consider the heavens and all that you've made, what is man that you think of him or the son of man that you're even mindful of him? You're so awesome. You're so big. You're so powerful. Why do you think of puny people, rebellious people like us. God, you're so great. Yeah, the heavens are telling us about God. He is whispering in our ear through creation. And, you know, there are other passages of Scripture that talk about the same thing. I think I might be out of battery on my clicker. There are a lot of creation texts. You know, I, I use this illustration. There are Christians who say, well, if, 
if we don't believe in creation, because, you know, evolution is pushing hard and we don't want to feel stupid. So I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm just not going to believe in creation. So, you know, we'll just get rid of Genesis 1. Well, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and, you know, the flood. But, I, but we still have a lot left. But no, we don't have a lot left because creation is taught from cover to cover. It's not only Genesis. You just understand, if, if you're going to give away Genesis, all right, in Exodus, you have God revealing himself again as the creator. Do you remember when Moses was afraid to speak? And, and he said, you know, Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not a good speaker. And God said what? Who made man's mouth? Okay, we're losing Exodus. Okay, and then we have Job. Job has huge argument. Job is talking to God, and he's trusted God, but he's, he's asking, God, where's justice? I, I feel like I deserve better treatment than this. I don't understand what you're doing. And finally, we get to, what is it, Job 28, and God begins a series where he's asking Job, where were you when I made Leviathan? And where were you when I spread out the heavens? And, and he uses creation to argue against Job. We already have seen that the Psalms talk about the creation of God. So Psalm 8 and 19 and 104 is just for fun. You ought to go read Psalm 104. It's beautiful. Psalm 111. We have the history books and the minor prophets. Isaiah. They're all talking about the God who made everything. We get to the New Testament, and John 1 begins with, in the beginning, which, let's admit it, that's a pretty blasphemous way to start a book, unless the person you're talking about is God. You're not allowed to say, in the beginning, you know, Chris Anderson started, blah, blah, blah. That, that would be ridiculous. That's preserved for God. But John writes about Jesus. He says, in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. We lose John. I think we're going to lose Matthew because when Jesus is asked about divorce, he says from the beginning, it was not so, but God made them male and female. All right, Genesis 1 through 3 is going to solve a lot of questions about gender. You know, the idea that God made a male and a female, it's not a spectrum, it's absolute. It's going to He's going to talk to us about the permanence of marriage. So Jesus quotes that. Colossians presents Jesus as a creator. Um, I think Philippians is going to have some creation. Ephesians has some creation. You know, eventually we're going to talk about the new creation. Revelation 4, 11, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and praise because you created all things and for your pleasure you created them. Hebrews 1 is going to lose it. Do you, you get the idea? If, if we start giving up on creation, we lose the Bible. You have nothing left whatsoever. Plus, plus you're doing so much damage to theology because the Bible says that death is a result of sin. If you believe in evolution, there was death that predated sin and none of the Bible's true. Jesus is a second Adam, but it doesn't make any sense unless we have a first Adam. We cannot give away the farm when it comes to creation. How about we say this? Somebody says, creation's impossible. I say, absolutely. It's a miracle. I can't do it. You can't do it. But there's a God who can and did. And frankly, what you believe that all this happened from chance, it's like believing a car factory blew up 
and out rolled a Rolls Royce. That, that's lunacy. You, you talk about faith. Okay, so let's just believe the Bible. Creation is revealing to us the power of God. We see it from cover to cover. You have, you have creation mandate. And I, I don't have time to get into that, but when God puts Adam into the garden and he says to, to manage it, to take care of it. He's actually saying, all of you who have non-ministry jobs, you say, well, I, I'm not really serving God. You know, I'm, I'm a farmer or I'm a lawyer or I'm an accountant or I'm a teacher. You're actually doing what God created us to do. He made a world and he hid all kinds of treasures. It's like an Easter egg hunt. And he hid all kinds of, of ores and he hid all kinds of uh, of." Um, plants that we could use for medicines. And all of this is from God and he gave us creativity and says like, go have fun and use the world I made. It's awesome. It means when, when you're enjoying creation, you're giving glory to God. What do we learn about God from creation? I'm, I'm asking out loud real quick. What do we learn about God from creation? Not everything, but what do we learn? What does creation reveal about God? Power. Okay, I, um, I think that was in one of the sessions yesterday that his omnipotence is revealed. Power, what else? Order. order. I mean, amazing order. From the heavens to microscopic cells. It, it's remarkable. That, that's why it's so impossible to believe in, in everything without a cause. You have order that came from what? You know, design tells us there's a designer. After their own kind. Okay, so you have reproduction, but God put limits on that. He has a plan for that. We see his power. We see his order. We see his wisdom. How about this? We, we see God's benevolence. He's just nice. I mean, he could have made strawberries taste like water. You know, he could have made everything like air. It's, it's nice, but, you know, you're not like, oh, that is delicious. Well, maybe you are. If you, you, know, you live in Atlanta and you come to Iowa, it might be delicious in certain parts of Iowa. But, but you have strawberries and you have watermelon and you have ribs and, you know, you have meats and all these things God created for us to enjoy. And, and he's just, he's creative, he's, he's fun, he makes things like a hippopotamus or a platypus or a giraffe, he's, he's just good. Sometimes it, it, it's like you're looking at a sunset, it's like he's just showing off. He's so awesome. It shows us he exists, it tells us things about him, but it doesn't tell us enough for us to be saved. Okay, he is witnessed in the heavens, and again, it's, it's perpetual, nonstop, Every language can, can see it, hear it, and at least understand this much. God exists, and, and he's big. He's awesome. That's why we have you know, a sense of religion just built into the nature of man. Everybody has it, but they go their own way to solve it. So we enjoy creation. We marvel at the creator. So tomorrow, when, when you're out enjoying the lake... When you're looking at the green grass, when you're looking at the stalks on the side of the lake, just praise God. When you look at the stars tonight, just be amazed. We have a maker. He's awesome. Stop taking it for granted. And don't think we can make peace with evolution and kind of, you know, give up a few chapters. God has spoken through creation. And Psalm 119 says, 
The heavens are telling the glory of God. However, creation can't save anyone. No one looks at a beautiful sunset and says, you know, I think there's a God. I've offended him. He's provided a way of salvation through the sending of his son who died in my place, was buried and rose again. Nobody's going to get that from creation. We need more. So God has whispered through creation, but God has spoken through the scriptures. It's clearer. It's more important. Okay, so inspiration of the Bible is better than the creation of the universe. Inspiration is special revelation. God has spoken to us, and this is life-changing. This is soul-saving. So immediately, we're going to get into verse 7, talk about more of God's revelation, more of God's talking. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Reviving the soul. You're never going to hear that about the heavens declaring the reviving of the soul. They can't do that. They can glorify God, but we need the Bible to learn about salvation. Let's, before I read through this again, we have a description of God's word as inspired, and you're going to have here, I'm, I'm a word nerd, I'm, you know, I'm a grammarian, I geek out at this stuff, but we're going to have a description of the word of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the law of the Lord. So we have six nouns, six adjectives. So verse seven, the law of the Lord, law is the noun, is perfect. That's the adjective, it's describing it. And then we have verbs reviving the soul. Okay, so we have what it is, a description of it, and what it does. And all of these are life-changing. So it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, and it can revive your soul. It can actually bring life to a dead soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, and it makes simple people wise. It actually instructs us in what we need to know. The precepts of the Lord are right, they rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The Bible is so amazing. I'll be driving with my girls, and I'm perpetually saying, wow, look at that tree. That is a beautiful tree. I, I love trees, especially in the south. We have live oaks, and they just kind of sprawl, and then you have Spanish moss hanging off. Or I see one that just has beautiful dimension. I'm like, look at that. Or, or we're driving in the mountains, like, look at that scene. Girls, we're about to come around a curve, and you're going to have a great vista on the right. Take a picture. And I get so excited about creation. But God's Word is infinitely better than creation. The Word is better than the world. And there should be a stirring in my heart when I read the Scripture, and I say, it's beautiful. God is so smart. He's so gracious. That psalm is beautiful, and that story is remarkable. Jesus' healing of that lame man is awesome, and, and you ought to be moved. Let me, let me talk to a bunch of regular Baptists from middle America. We should be moved more. We should be moved more. You know, we sing, and here I am speaking. I was taught to preach and I'm preaching. I mean, I'm like raising my voice and I'm using gestures and rah, rah. Billy Sunday used to do flips and all kinds of crazy stuff when he's preaching. And then when we sing, you know, we stand like this. Well, I was taught to stand one foot in front of the other, good breath support. Now listen, I, I'm not saying that you need to be Pentecostal, but you should feel something. 
You should be singing a song. When you sing, O sacred head now wounded, mine, mine was the transgression, but thine, the deadly pain. Or your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. You know, the wrath of God is completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. You should be moved. I preached on the Psalms as an example of our emotional response to Scripture. And the Psalms, you have, you have sometimes sorrow, but sometimes you have joy or clapping or shouting or raising hands. And I told people, let's not be afraid of biblical expressions of worship. And I said, you know, if you're moved and you just can't sing, that's fine, but at least you're moved. If you want to raise your hands because you're moved, that's fine. There's, there's Bible warrant for that. An older lady in our church, um, early 80s, afterwards, she said, Pastor, when we sang the last verse of Before the Throne of God Above, I was so moved. I tried to put up my hands, and they just wouldn't go. I told her, I said, said listen, don't hurt yourself. You know, you can leave them down. But her heart was moved. I'm, I'm good. Her heart was moved. We should be amazed by creation, but even more amazed by the Word. So we read it. It affects us. We see it in its perfection, but it actually reminds me, quickly, it reminds me of, of what we see in 2 Timothy 3, and, and you're going to have to do kind of some of that comparison on your own. But 2 Timothy 3 says that all Scripture is inspired, is God-breathed, and therefore it's profitable. That's what we have in the Psalms. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it's profitable. It will save your soul. It will bring you joy. It will change your life. It will convict you of sin. And, and, and later he's going to say, by them your servant is warned. But on the other hand, in keeping them, there's great reward. So there's warning against sin, but there's reward for obedience. We get all of that from the scripture. And if you read that alongside 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have been assured of knowing of whom you've learned them. That the, these... These scriptures are able to make you wise to salvation. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, so that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's Psalm 19. The word of the law is perfect and sure, and it's life-changing. No wonder in chapter 4, he goes on in 2 Timothy 4, he says, so I tell you, Timothy, preach the word. Why are we Bible believers? Because what else do we have that can revive the soul? Nothing. And, and pastors, our clever sermon illustrations don't change lives. The word is life-changing. The word is delightful. It rejoices our hearts. Let me give you just a quick missions moment. We read about God speaking to us through nature, through creation. And how many people in the world have been exposed to God's creative power? How many? All. The first six verses keep telling us everybody has heard, everybody has witnessed. The sun has done its job. There's no language that hasn't been reached with God's creation. God wants everyone to know that he is the creator. And now God has given us the scriptures and he wants everyone to know that he's also a savior. 
He wants everyone to know. He's told us to go to all the world and give the gospel to every creature, to make disciples of all nations. He wants us to do our job as faithfully as the Son has. He wants everybody to know. There should be no language where the gospel is not heard. And we've fallen behind. There should be a a conscience in us that says, I've heard the truth. I've come to believe the truth, but I can't just hoard it. I need to share it. So I want to take the gospel to others as well. God has whispered through creation. God has spoken through the scriptures. David gets to the end and he says, God, thinking about you and your power and your grace and your word, I don't even know what sins I need to confess, but cleanse me, wash me, save me, forgive me, and then protect me, keep me from sinning. I ask you something. God has whispered through creation. God has spoken through the scriptures. What could be better than the scriptures? You're inclined to say nothing. But there's one thing that's even better than the scriptures. God has shouted through the Savior. The best revelation of God was not creation. It wasn't even scripture. I'm not belittling scripture. But the best revelation, the best communication from God is Jesus. Turn with me quickly to John 1. We have to move. We have a hard stop coming. John chapter 1. We already discussed, in the beginning was the Word. Now, can I just tell you something? Doesn't that feel like a very random title to give Jesus? In the beginning was the Word. Huh? Why the Word? Well, some people have said, you know, it's, it's because of Old Testament wisdom, or it's because of Greek philosophy. I think they're overthinking it. What is a word? What is a word? A word is a means of communication. It's how you, how you communicate, how you talk, how you, how you share yourself through a word. Jesus is called the word. We get to verse 14, you know this well. The word became flesh. That's the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Look down at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God because he is God. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. In fact, in John 14, do you remember the disciples are going to say, you know, would you show us the Father? And Jesus says, how long have I been with you? And you don't get it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know God? You, you look to Jesus. He's the perfect revelation. Now jump ahead to Hebrews 1. And we're very close to finishing. Hebrews 1, what an amazing passage. It's going to talk about creation, but oh, it's going to talk about much more than that. It's going to talk about Jesus as the perfect and final revelation of God. If I could only find Hebrews. Philemon, Hebrews. Hebrews 1. Long ago, 
at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Their message was, thus saith the Lord. It's basically what we have in the scriptures. Long ago and at diverse times, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And that was great. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, the word. He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, the son, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So I say God whispered through creation, amazing. God spoke through the scriptures, and that is soul-saving. But when he sent Jesus to be born of a virgin, to walk on the earth, to go about doing good, to perform miracles, to give amazing teachings like nobody had ever given, to die for our sins, then conquer death and rise again, God has shouted to us, not angry, but he, he shouted with such clarity through the giving of the Savior. So God's ultimate revelation, I said that inspiration is better than creation. Oh, but incarnation, incarnation, carnage is flesh. God coming into flesh is even better than inspiration. Seeing Jesus is seeing the invisible God. And there's so much to understand about that, but some of it's even like, you know, how, how does God feel about our suffering? How does God feel about, about our rebellion, about our sorrow? I think when we see Jesus weeping, we're not just seeing Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, but we're seeing the heart of God. When we see his compassion, his mercy, when we see his anger against sin, ultimately when we see his wrath, we're seeing the perfect representation of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so the Psalms, Isaac Watts would say, Christianize the Psalms. What he meant was when we sing the Psalms, we should go ahead and go and, and connect the dots and find their fulfillment in Christ. Luke 24 says, the Psalms and all of the scriptures are ultimately speaking of Christ. So Psalm 19 points us to God as the creator, to God as the savior through the scriptures, but it hints toward the perfect revelation from God. And we're even gonna see it at his return in revelation. He is called the word of God. And he comes to reveal the father to us perfectly. Tonight we're going to conclude, uh, I don't do this often, but uh, I take sermons and if I can, I turn them into songs, and I turned this one into a song uh, several years ago called God Has Spoken, and it's basically going to be the sermon and song. Uh, you've not heard it before, but I thought it might be nice to introduce you to it, so I asked Tim Floor if he would play the piano tonight. He's basically sight reading. This is not special music. Okay, don't judge me. Okay, you did great. This is just introducing a song to you, okay? But I'm going to sing the first verse so you can hear it, and then we'll go ahead and stand and sing verses one, two, and three, and be dismissed to donuts. All right, God has spoken. God has whispered through creation, making all with leather be. His creative voice still echoes through the works we hear and see. 
what power, oh, what wisdom, oh, what kindness God has shown. God has whispered through creation, He exists and may be known, He exists and may be known. Simple, all right? Let's sing the truth together. Stand, please. Sing out, God has whispered through creation. God has whispered through creation, making all with let there be. His creative voice still echoes through the works we hear and see. Oh, what power, oh, what wisdom, oh, what kindness God has shown. God has whispered through creation, He exists and may be known, He exists and may be known. God has spoken through the scriptures. God has spoken through the scriptures, breathing out His sacred word, Spirit let the Declared thus as the Lord, teaching us of sin and sinners, of God's saving sacrifice. God has spoken through the scriptures, pointing us to Jesus Christ, pointing us to God has shouted through the Savior, greatest word of God to man. Word made flesh, Christ took our nature, one of us without our sin. Jesus' highest revelation, seeing Him is seeing God. God has shouted through the Savior, praise the living Word of God, praise the living Word of God. And Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for coming to be as one of us. Amazing that Jesus would leave the glories of heaven, walk this sin-filled, suffering, dirty planet all to rescue us and to rescue all creation. We thank you. Might your people have a greater appreciation for how great you are. And might any who are still outside of Jesus Christ see desperately their need for salvation. I ask that you will take away peace of mind from them and convict them and burden them until they find peace by trusting Jesus as Savior before they even leave this week. Do your work. So use your word, do exceeding abundantly beyond what we could ask or think. We pray with faith and with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.